out to another episode of the Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. I'm Jared Ross. Today I'm joined with Chris, Flynn, John. And uh, due to popular demand, uh, we're going to be doing another question and answer. Uh, we've had a lot of people, again, ask us questions both in person, emailed us, text us, message us, and uh, we're going to do our best to answer some of these questions. That was pretty cool, you know, stamps and stuff. Yeah. So questions, answers. Yeah, mm, questions, answers. Fun times. We, we brought in more people this time, uh, so you're not just listening to Jared and I go back and forth reading these questions and uh, come up with answers. Get some different opinions. All right, let's start off with a real important one. Uh, the first question is, how many Punisher skulls should I have on my kit? Let's cue the group. We'll start with you, John. Uh, any negative number would be appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, John took my answer. Negative yeah, number. Negative number. Uh, negative, number. Ne- negative number. In fact, negative you should number, yeah. you should do make a, make an effort to uh, rip it off of other people's gear if you yep. see it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, I don't pick on other team guys. You know, uh, what stay what happens in the Legion stays in the Legion. Yeah. So hypothetically, uh, we QR off to another team and uh, we show up. And the guy's sitting there, not wearing kit, and uh, he's wearing a T-shirt that's got a Punisher skull on it. Oh yeah. And I looked at one of my fellow Green Brays and I said, who is on this team? I was like, oh, yeah, we bring our support kids out every now and again, too. <laughs> oh. How'd that go over? Uh, he was a little offended. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, there's a time to be professional and there's a time to be a cartoon character. <laughs> so uh, one of the coolest patches that I ever did see was, uh, was a 20th group team. And they took the super nerdy Star Wars Rebel Alliance logo and they fused it with the, uh, the Arrowhead patch from the Devil's Brigade from World War II. That was really, really well done. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting one of those. That was, that was, that was kind of slick. Yeah, I'm not a fan of morale patches for, uh, for my profession. I, uh, really? Yeah, no, we actually, internally on the team, nothing but departmental patches and uh, police patches, and it's all set in SFP. You don't need to be. There's like one guy on the team who's had five shootings with armed suspects and he's like the one guy he'd be like okay you could wear a punisher patch but <laughs> but he doesn't wear one because yeah. that's just well cheesy I, I, and cringy I, yeah. I, I think there's a time and a place yeah sure so when sure. you know you mentioned time to be a professional yeah time, yeah, to, be yeah, a time to be a professional yeah so uh you know team room door yeah oh yeah the two teams that yeah. i was on we had our oda number into a dragon on one of them and the other was the very first team sergeant of that oda way back in the day was a huge Elvis fan, so it was TCB. And uh, we had TCB on a lot of stuff in the team room. We didn't put it on our trucks. We didn't put it on our body armor. We had patches. Yeah. We had T-shirts that we wore during PT, but when it was time to be professional, we were professional. I think from our background, uh, running stuff in, in SF, it's good to have those team patches because there's a lot of time, hey, I need that shiny thing that uh, that conventional guy has or, or whatever. And, you know, oh, yeah. it, it's good to trade when we're running ranges with, with other people and stuff. Yeah, wearing that stuff there to, to, to trade and and, uh, and uh, barter with. Yeah. But, yeah, when it comes time to, to do the job, I think the one really wasn't even a, a morale patch, really, but the one patch that I um, wore all the time on, on my kit, and that was, like, right in the middle of my chest. I used to wear uh, the bright yellow uh uh, don't tread on me flag and I was almost I mean just me being an arrogant punk you know kind of taunting them yeah right you see that yellow right there yeah take take that shot at me right there 
right, wrong, and different. That's that's about the only thing that I. I had a full color uh, reflective with. American flag. Yeah. That I wore. Yeah. Outstanding. So I'm gonna say on like the Punisher patch, the the morale patch, and things yeah. like that. There is a time and place, and you know it is part of the the culture. I think that anything that is done to excess automatically becomes uncool. It could be the coolest thing in the world in small amounts, but the moment that it becomes across the board and everyone's doing it, it's lame. No yeah. one wants to do it. Yeah. Well, it's like us at LTAC. We have the, our Arrowhead logo, and we have a couple different color schemes. And uh, there's a lot of people who want people email. Hey, how can I get, how can I buy one of those, uh, the, the yellow? The green and gold. Yeah. And you got to earn that. Yeah. And we've given out very, very few of them. And if we were to hand them out to everyone, they'd become worthless. It has no no meaning and no value to it. And then I've had a couple people see the the black one, the, the black on black, mm-hmm. or, or the dark subdued one. Oh, how do I get that one? Well, I really can't tell you how you, to get that You have to one. kill somebody who has one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Well, what are the criteria for the different patches? I mean, I don't think I even know. Oh, it, it's the other, all, almost all the patches, you go on our website and you can buy them. Oh, is that really? <laughs> yeah, that, that's Because I've seen it. you hand them out. I didn't know if yeah. there's different indications. No, them. well, the... the um, the uh, green and gold, uh, those ones have to be earned. Um, we always have at least one at every class, uh, and we're just waiting to see someone just do something extraordinary or push themselves. Um, just seeing that independent growth or really okay, trying right. hard. Then, hey, there you go. You did a great job. And we've given some out to some people who are just studs, great shooters, and, you know, you know, do a good job. And then we've given some out to someone who's very first class struggling, but that you can tell they, they worked they as hard as they could. Push themselves through. Yeah. I have an example, one that I gave out. Student that is a phenomenal shooter, comes to a lot of training. Um, and multiple classes, he's asked, and he's asked, and he's asked, did I do enough? And I'm like, no, you did nothing to stand out this class. And then I challenged him to go offhand and shoot support hand. And really, because he complains that he can't, you know, I have eye problems, you know, I, I'm genetically inferior or whatever, um, you know, whatever his excuse was, but he pushed himself and he pushed himself through it and he continued to go. And that's what we're looking for. Yeah. You know, it's that, that individual growth, which makes it meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about well, blood type patches? Sure. <laughs> I, I refuse to, I refuse to wear them because I don't want something that says APOS on the side of it. Yeah, my- yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> nice. I don't want people to know how susceptible to COVID I am or I am not. Yeah. 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 Uh, our medics told us, uh, yeah, we don't trust you illiterate bunch to uh, know your blood type. You're getting <laughs> universal donor. Yeah. Let me figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It, that, that's something that I think it started mm-hmm. with, yep. hey, we have it on our dog tags. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put it on my boots. It was a good idea. And then someone else saw someone doing it and someone else saw someone doing it and it just it carried on. Um, why did SF guys wear Oakley's? Because I needed a sunglass that was ballistic. And then Oakley's become so popular and everyone has to have Oakley's. I can't wear Oakley's. I have to find a different company, you know? Yeah. Um, There's a book, I think we mentioned it, the earlier podcast. Well, the author, earlier podcast that we did today. And that's uh, Dr. Seuss, Starbelly Sneeches. That's what it comes down to. Are you a sneech with a star on, on yours or, or not? And that's, yeah, that's a, if you haven't read that, you, you listeners, <laughs> you need to look up uh, Dr. Seuss, the, the sneeches. And we talked about this in uh, the Light Fighter podcast about you can take the equipment, you can match the equipment of a unit 
and put it in a different unit. I mean, you and I, Jared, we have experience of going down range to, you know, some of these uh, Middle Eastern countries that have the money, the flus to just buy everything yeah. and outfit their, oh, you have a cry plate carrier? I will buy, you know, 10 cry plate carriers for my guys. Oh, you have a, a Mark 18? I will buy Mark 18s. It didn't mean that their special operations were anywhere on par with us. Just because you look like something doesn't mean that you are. That's why I wear the, uh, you've seen my uh, tab of my gear. It says regular guy. That's, <laughs> it's my, my humble, like, I'm, not, I'm not LARPing here. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm not somebody special. Right on. All right, so no Punisher skulls. No Punisher skulls. I will go but... ahead and take it off, I guess. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Uh-huh. This, the, is, this is the intervention we were. We were the committee has spoken. This. The committee mm-hmm. has spoken. All right. Uh, next question. What are your suggestions for night vision? Get it. Get it. <laughs> okay. Have so, some. <laughs> so I. What was it? What did you say? Stop being poor and just, just get some. Just, just stop being poor. Yeah. Just cease. That's cease right. your poorness and buy some night vision. Flynn beats the dead cat all the time about, uh, hey, how many ARs do you have? How many carry pistols do you have? Sell something, get some night vision. I'm going to take this a little different. We've been getting the question a lot, dual tubes versus single tubes. And I will tell you from experience, I love dual tubes. I don't have dual tubes. The price of entry to dual tubes may be outside of what you can afford. A single tube is far superior to nothing and it, the jump to dual tubes is not that much more superior to having a single tube as having a single tube is to having nothing so don't look at oh well i can't get night vision until i have seven grand to dump into night vision if you've got that three thousand dump that three thousand into that single tube you're always improving your equipment but get something White phosphorus versus green phosphorus. We're going to say, hands down, yes, white phosphor. That's that's where it's at. But if all you can get your hands on is green, get green. Get something. What about the milsurp stuff that you see from time to time? Is there like some of the stuff you should avoid? Because that might be all that people can. some people can afford. I w- <laughs> stuff to avoid. I would be very, very leery of any of the digital stuff. And, you know, John, you and I were... Both like in, camera like guys. In Cabela's, the yeah. stuff you see in yeah, we, ATM. We, yeah, we, we, can, we can talk about, um, you've you got to think that there's a, a lag time, and it's milliseconds that, that's coming through the digital. And digital is coming along, but that is still milliseconds. If you're trying to maneuver through, the, through a terrain, that is going to hinder you because you're seeing things at a delay when they're actually happening, um, and it's going to start to mess with you. Uh as far as like, you know, PVS seven or something like that, your older night vision. Again, something is better than nothing, and if that's all you can get your hands on, yes, get it. If it's a great deal, get it. Um, you do want to work your way to uh, that fourteen, that white phosphor. That's where I kind of think the like you're getting into a. A good, we're going to use the car analogy here. You have a good, reliable car. Um, everything else is kind of like, oh, well, it's a moped. You know, technically it's faster than me walking, but it's still a moped. Um, 
you're getting a good car. It's good and reliable. Getting that, you know, dual tube, now we're talking about having that luxury vehicle. It's more comfortable. It has more features to drive with and things like that. Doesn't necessarily get you any place any faster or, um, you know, you're dry when it's raining instead of being on the moped and getting wet. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Avoid the digital stuff. Avoid the uh, the Russian stuff that's made with, like, radium that gives you eyeball cancer. I wouldn't buy any of that. So I think the 7s are better than nothing, but I think they are such a niche thing that, yeah, technically have night vision. I'll just quote a guy at a class who looked through my, my issued 31s, and his exact words were, why the F did I buy this? this set of night vision if this stuff is that much better. Yeah. And the the price point that I've oh, seen yeah. that oh, I've yeah. seen sevens yeah. for, it's not like I can get into a set of sevens for like seven hundred bucks. No. Yeah. I'm still paying a couple thousand dollars. Yes. And you know, I mean in in my opinion, um I wouldn't get anything less than a PVS fourteen that's white yeah. foss. Um, you can save up enough money to, to make that purchase. Anything that's less than that, even a PVS fourteen that that's green, um you're, you're worth saving your money a little bit yeah. more in order to get that, that white Foss PVS 14. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree. I think the 14, like you said, Chris, the, the jump from nothing to a 14 is massive. The jump from a single tube to a dual tube is, eh, I mean, I, I said as a guy who has dual tubes, I wouldn't go back to a single tube, but if I had to pay out of my own pocket. Yeah. I'm I was going to say, were, yeah, that, were those right. dual yeah. tubes, were they issued? Yeah, or? they're yeah. issued. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So if I had to pay out of my own pocket, I'm probably getting a white Foss PVS-14 with a, a Wilcox J-arm. And I think a lot of the complaints with the PVS-14s come from guys using, like, the junky USGI J-arm mm-hmm. with, the, with the Rhino mount. And that that's something that is so key is the we think about the actual device so much. And you don't think about the supporting system. I think you do a really good job when we, you talk about it in the classes about the equipment that you need to support it and, you know, the, the tolerances and things like that. that I didn't think about, hey, I was issued this, so I ran with this. And, yeah, this sucks, so I put a piece of tape on it or yep. I shimmed it or yep. I did this, I made it work. Yep. And then, you know, I get to group and I get better equipment, get better equipment, and then we start getting the Wilcox stuff. And I think now, after having your classes and stuff, how much of my, oh, man, these 31s are so much more amazing than that, that first set of 15s I had was not only the fact that they're amazing device but all the supporting equipment was so much better you know i had the op score i had the wilcox mount you know everything had those tight tolerances i had the shock cord and everything yep we, we often think about night vision for the tactical um i'm gonna walk through the woods more you know in the roles that we've used it for okay i'm gonna expand and think hey what about your homes we talk about buying a, a set of night vision for the range when you're putting your camera system around the house Make sure that your camera system has that night vision capability. And now that, yes, it's a digital yeah. digital system, that's okay. It's it's being recorded. We're not navigating off of this. That's something you want to look at for your home security. And then having like those um, UV light boards to give IR uh, illumination. Um, we used a, a system in Afghanistan that very simple digital night vision camera that when we supplement it with uh, IR uh, spotlights, we illuminated so much more territory and we turned a, a cheap system into something that was very, very effective. Um, more, more light will usually turn crappy cameras into serviceable cameras. Yes. Because they they just, 
bad cameras generally need more light because they're poorly made. So. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the difference with the white phosphor from the green phosphor, good tubes versus bad tubes is you can make those work. You just have to use a lot of IR. And the okay. problem with using a lot of IR is any amount of night vision sees that you're pushing out all yeah. that IR. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, I, I think you're far better off. I would, I personally, if we're talking issued, I would rather have a good white phosphor 14 single tube over crummy dual tubes just because of the, the just you just see that much better. What's the what's the what's the price difference between single and dual? Um, it it depends. It, it depends. <laughs> it can depend. Yeah, you're looking at somewhere between uh, thirty five hundred to four grand for a white Foss um, PVS fourteen, and then you're took for dual tubes. You're like nine grand, uh, somewhere around there. And again, it really fluctuates. You can find stuff cheaper. You can find stuff a heck of a lot more expensive. It really depends on uh, on mm. when you're asking and, and stuff. I know with, with us being de um, dealers for NVD, um, since we're not doing mass quantity orders, um, every time we, we place an order, uh, we have to ask for a price quote. And, and the quote does vary um, from, from week to week, from month to month. And just with that, the, the price difference between a single – the price between a really good single tube and a crummy set of duals is not that much. And like I said, for that money, I'd rather have a really good single tube as opposed to just crummy dual tubes that look cool on Instagram. No. Well, that is a factor, looking cool. It's rule, mm. it's rule number one. ABCs. Looking cool is important. Being cool is more important. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question that we have. Um, what are some ways or techniques for training without ammunition? Now, I mean, we can go right in and say, oh, do land nav or do this, do that. But I think the person asking the question is specifically asking about firearms training. Dry fire. Absolutely. That's, that's most of what I do is dry fire. Just you, in the garage, 15 minutes a day. You can do 99% of shooting dry fire. It's, the only thing missing is the bang and the, the okay, impact. So, so talk to me about your regiment for dry firing. What do you do? Uh, I go in the basement, generally. Um, and bring a couple magazines in my, my whole setup, either the chest rig or just a belt. And I'll do um, reloads from like all like three magazines worth of reloads, and then transition and do three mags of pistol reloads. And then um, I'll try and figure out like how can I reconfigure things to make it a little more, a little, a little, a little easier, a little more ergonomic. Um, I recently found out that my radio pouch and sling weren't working with each other, so I have to like figure out where to reposition mm -hmm. that to. And um, that's the kind of stuff you find. By, it's not just you know trigger squeeze and stuff. It's the whole the whole system and figuring out like what what's how to optimize things. And I have like a gym area and there's like some rubber mats that the magazines are hitting the concrete all the time. And, and it's a, it's a 360 safe safe direction. I have dreams of building you know a, a range you know with a shipping container, but that, that'll never happen. <laughs> I'll help you build that range. Earth moving machinery, and we have friends. We will make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Explosives. We, we certainly can. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 100 in on that. Yes, I have my family. It's not just my training that I'm doing. Um, I recently got a uh, airsoft uh, pistol, so we've been doing dry fire with the kids for a couple of years now. We've used a laser bullet, so they're seeing um, where the rounds are impacting. You know, we have the little app on the phone that can capture it. So. That's good. We can do some scenario-based stuff with that, uh, you know, holding bags and dropping the bags. Uh, throwing in the airsoft with the reciprocating, the follow-up shots and things like that that you're not getting with the dry fire. 
that's added something new to the regiment. And then um, I'm working more of concealed, so drawing from the concealed, clearing your clothing. Uh, I have daughters, so my daughters wear different outfits. So they're not cartoon characters like myself that wear the same, you know, some sort of tactical pant, some sort of button-up shirt. Um, so they've discovered recently, like, oh, hey, if I wear that shirt, it's harder to shoot. You know, it's harder to get to my gun. So they're starting to have those thought processes, uh, which is pretty awesome as a, a parent and as an instructor, as instructing them as they're realizing these things. Um, and they're getting it from that experience. Uh, like John said, definitely trying out your, your kit and seeing where things work and if that makes sense of that reload. If anything's going to interfere with that reload, can I do it in the dark? Uh, we talk about it at the low light classes. You have to be able to do these things in the dark. In your basement, shut the lights off. Practice. <clears throat> Blindfold yourself. Practice. You'd mentioned your kids. I know one thing that I started off with my kids when they were really little is uh, I recall when I was a child and I was playing whatever with, with guns, good guys, bad guys, whatever, with uh, friends. Um, one of the things that I would do is when I would fake shoot, when I would pull that trigger, when I would go bang, um, because I'd seen movies and television and I knew guns recoiled, I would flinch. I would make that toy gun move. Um, so now what am I doing? Through hours and hours and thousands upon thousands of, of repetitions as a child growing up playing, you know. You're teaching yourself to flinch. Exactly. Cowboys, I'm teaching myself to flinch. So as I started to actually shoot and then start instructing people to shoot, I'm like, that's a big thing, that anticipation. So I made sure from the time my kids were little, when they're, you know, finger guns or, or, or making guns out of Legos or whatever, and, and, and they're playing that, that was natural for them too to, to start you know, doing that recoil. So I stopped them. No, there's no recoil. So then now my kids, when they're shooting and they're playing, it's, it's, it's steady. And that has translated now, um, you know, to my children are older and they're actually shooting real firearms. Um, they don't have that training scar to start with. So that's, you know, something really simple that I know I did with, with my kids. That's important. You got anything else there, sir? Just dry fire. I've got a, a B8 framed, so it looks classy. Mm -hmm. A little B8 repair center target framed on that good heavy target paper I've got just framed hanging up in the garage and I'll go out there every day I'll like do five ten minutes with pistol five ten minutes with rifle and it's if you're doing actual dry fire it's a smoker like it's a mental smoker getting that perfect trigger press every time mm -hmm. I know um for those of you from the legion you've been out to area 51 uh range 51 and uh when I was out there it'd be Paul or Andy would be out there and they would be uh practicing dry fire with their cowboy action guns <laughs> and uh Walk in and here's this, you know, to me at the time, you know, I'm some, some young buck and here's this old school guy, you know, this, this grandpa figure. I, I hope he gets to hear this and he'll, you know, really upset him. Um, but he'd be out there. And I'd be honored if they listened yeah. to this. <laughs> and the, he had three targets up on the wall in, in the classroom. And I, is that classroom still there? Mm -hmm. I assume? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so those of you guys who from the Legion, you know what I'm talking it's better about. Now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is since <clears> I was there. Um, and he would just sit there and with his cowboy action gun and, you know, side picture, drive the gun, click. Look over, you know, acquire the next uh, target, side picture, click. Next target, side picture, click. And just practice, you know, leading with his eyes, driving that gun. And with dry fire, I know there's a lot of people, and even mentioned here, you know, tr talking about getting it from concealment or those actions getting from, you know, out of your holster. But one of the things I really try when I'm doing dry fire and I'm focusing on is my side picture. I'm seeing what I'm seeing. I'm moving those sights to what I can see. And just getting good rep after good rep of doing that, leading with my eyes, driving that gun with my eyes. 
eyes, head, body, gun. So, and just practice that over and over and over again. Eyes, head, body, gun. Eyes, head, body, gun. And if you can get that down um, after thousands of reps, then everything else just becomes that much easier. Eyes, head, body, gun. All right. Uh, anything else? Anyone wants to add on that? Yeah. The um, like the good thing about about dry fire is that there's nobody to bullshit. Like it's it's just you. I mean, you, yeah. you know if you screwed up a draw, and you know if you didn't have a great grip on the gun. It's not like the instructor wasn't watching. You can get away with it, you know. And one thing I figured out was that you know there's nothing wrong with going slow and just practicing each stage of the draw, like you know clearing the garment mm -hmm. away, getting mm -hmm. a good grip, and and just doing that really slow. If you take martial arts at any point, you know, that's the same thing you do in karate class or whatever, is like the, you know, you do the same first motion over and over and over again. And, and if you haven't listened to John's first podcast, he did talk about his experience with in karate class and how you did real training as opposed to all the, uh, some of the other schools with all, all the flash. Oh yeah, uh, having middle schoolers do push-ups in their knuckles and yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, our Charles Manson looking sensei. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, because a lot of people want to go fast, you know, you want mm -hmm. to look really cool and you want to do what you've seen people on TV do or whatever. And, you know, the fundamentals are what you have to really work on. And then the speed comes naturally as a, as a result of that, because if you, you just start building those like neural pathways and you end up, you know, kind of running, when you go to draw, it's, you're running a program instead of every little step. And yep. The only, the only way to get there is just to do, is to go slow and take your time. All right. Next question. Uh, best revolver for carrying? None. <clears throat> Two. Two? <laughs> <laughs> Smith & Wesson Model 49 Bodyguard. Okay. And, Old school. And, yeah. and why is that? It's got the... Uh, black powder. No, it's not black powder. No, no. <laughs> um, it's like the classic Smith & Wesson J-frame. It's got the... Uh, well, if you want to get real, real fancy, you can get a three-inch barrel. Okay. Three-inch barrel because then it's got a full-length ejector rod, so you can fully eject your casings. As, but, a, as opposed to dropping a magazine. Yeah, as opposed to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to carry a snub. But I like the Model 49 because it has the, uh, what most people call the humpback, but it's not the, the hammerless ones because you can still get that for a single action shot if you need to, but it's humped so you can draw it out of a coat pocket easily, won't get hung up or snagged. So, but that's if you choose to carry a J-frame. Uh, while I am a revolver aficionado, I don't carry a revolver. And I would say that it is in... Even on Wednesday. Even on Wednesday. Okay. I just stay home. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say a revolver, like many other older firearms, are certainly adequate, but they are not optimal. And they only suitable for getting you out of trouble. But, you know. Okay. A lot of people say, you know, revolvers are great because they're so simple and they don't jam everything. Well, they've never Dude, looked inside yeah, a revolver. They're kidding. <laughs> yeah. it's, like a, it's like a Swiss clock in some of yes. them. Yes. One grain of sand can jam it up, and there's no remedial action that's deadline. Yeah. I uh, had a gentleman I went to church with who brought me a uh, replica Colt Navy mm. black powder pistol that yeah. it wasn't functioning for him. And so I took it into Mr. Bly, who was a mentor of mine and uh -huh. a big cowboy action shooter, and he taught me how to take it all apart. And sure enough, there was a cap that a part of the cap had broken off and gotten into the mechanism, and that was impeding the whole thing. And so then he taught me how to, you know, do the whole timing process, and I was like, this is extremely complicated. I mean, I work on 1911s, and this was complicated. Yeah, being both a police nerd and a history nerd, 
I think it's important you have to know where you're coming from. But when you look at police revolver manuals and courses of fire, those guys were cleaning those guns every 50 rounds or so. Just like you get on the extractor star, cleaning all that, make sure there's no unburnt powder because just the littlest things. You get high primers. And <clears throat> generally semi-auto, you've got remedial action. So coming from uh, being yeah. a police nerd, sure. uh, yeah. one of my only knowledges of uh, drills to do with the revolver the, the new hall drill. Yes. Yep. And I, I remember the new hall drill because where I lived in California was yeah. seven miles north of new hall. You want to explain the new hall drill? So the new hall drill was an incident in the seventies. 73, where, I believe. Yep. Where a guy, uh, was it, was it a trooper? I think it was a it was, California yep. highway patrol. Yep. CHP. And he was, uh, charged by a suspect while he had an empty gun and he was trying to reload the gun with all six rounds. And so the new hall reloaded, the lame duck reload became load two, fire two. So you'd have an empty cylinder, eject all six, load in two more, and then fire those two. And the idea was get the gun up. And that's the challenge of the revolver is that it's, it's great for the first six shots, and then after that it's, it's a lot more complicated. The thing that – and we can pick that whole concept apart and, you know, the, the ease of throwing a magazine and all yeah. that. What I like about that was they, they recognized the equipment that they had, yep. and they came up with a way of <clears throat> teaching guys how to stay in the fight. Yep. You're not done until you're done. We learned this incident because this happened. Someone lost their life. Let's educate ourselves and let's be able to, instead of complaining about the equipment, yep. work with work with what, what we got. got. Yeah. Yep. They didn't start screaming and say we need a laser rifle, you know, which we all do, but uh, <laughs> you know we don't have them yet. They found a way. Okay. We said we weren't going to talk about that. We can't talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, they they said we're going to find a way to train our our guys so that yeah. they can stay in the fight. Yep. And I, I love that. I, that, to me, is what you should do. Yep, it's the same thing. I don't want to get into shotguns, but select slug drills. Mm-hmm. It's there because all those guys have was a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Obviously, carbine's a better choice, but if that's all you've got, you've got to master what you have instead of trying to worry about what's the best thing. When I do uh, have occasion to do uh, recruit training at the academy, I try to pick out the gun guys because I was a gun guy. Oh, what's your favorite gun? If you carry anything, what would you carry? And they give the answer, like, that's great. What you have, though, is a Gen 3 Glock 22 with a, with an 8-pound trigger. That's what you need to worry about. <laughs> worry about mastering that. No, you can't change the sights. No, you can't grip tape. You're stuck with that. So master that. Don't worry about what you could have. Worry about what you do have. Right on. Uh, this is you know, beyond me. Um, maybe you have some knowledge in this, but uh, you know, I've read and I enjoy a lot of the Louis Lamore books. And uh, it's just simple, mindless, you know, not not – Brain candy. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but everything, virtually everything in there is historically accurate where if he names a place, the place was there. And then if there's a firearm, that firearm actually existed. So in there, in a couple of his books, he has uh, talked about black powder revolvers as well as some, uh, um, not cap and ball, but actual uh, cartridge revolvers that were like 12 shots. So it was like... Have you seen, because I, I can't even conceptualize it, but talking about like dual cylinders and stuff out of one barrel, especially the, the one black powder one he was talking about, you're actually shooting, then shaking it down, and it's like forcing the next load in and, and bring it up. Have you? I think that's more a question for Kirk. Yeah, probably That's is. a Kirk question. And, yeah. and Kirk should be here. Hopefully you listen to Kirk and you can... Feel bad. Yes, feel a <laughs> disappointment in you. All right, so we won't go down that rabbit hole then. Next question then, uh, kind of carrying on with the first one, what's the best revolver? The next question is, uh, what ammunition should you use for a revolver? So the old standby was what they called the uh, the Metro load. 
or the FBI load or the Treasury load. It was a 158 grain lead semi-wide cutter hollow point plus P. And that was popular for a long time, for a lot of years. Um, <clears throat> however, that's a pure lead bullet. And I think we've seen it. Some of the classes we've run when we did the uh, ballistics class, shooting different media, those mm -hmm. pure lead bullets just don't do do great because um, they can only be driven so fast. And uh, when you're talking revolver, you're probably talking a snub nose. A popular one back in the day, reading what the, you know what these guys were doing, these police officers was, they would take wide cutters, full wide cutters, because it was a, a light load, easy to control, had a big wide surface. It wasn't like a, a full patch or a lead round nose, which often would like kind of wouldn't cut through. It wouldn't give a good uh, uh, wound pattern. It had a wide uh, meat plat, mat plat. Me plat, yeah, is the technical term. These are these are words we don't really use much in mm -hmm. everyday conversation. So guys would use the full wide cutters because you could crank off the entire cylinder real fast at close range and then hopefully do some damage. Today, though, probably one of the best revolver loads is the Spear Gold Dot short barrel load designed specifically for snub nose and short barrels. And I believe, I check my notes, but I'm pretty sure NYPD uses it for their the, the backup gun revolver that they have. I think that's their authorized load for mm -hmm. that. So, yeah, if I was going to do that, I'd probably, if I'm carrying a snub, because it also comes down to revolvers, a lot of people shoot air weight. So if you're shooting an air weight, I'd probably go with the wide cutters, because if you're not going to practice with it, it's useless. So, yeah, the, one of those three loads is what I would look for in a revolver. Thank you. So the next question, and, and again, it's going on the same type vein, outside <clears throat> the, the uh, semi-autos, pistols, or rifles. And again, Kirk was here for this, but um, will you have a 50-state compliant class? And uh, right off, the, the answer is yes. And that's where yeah, we turn to, to, to Kirk and uh, and Kirk and Flynn uh, to, to answer that question for us. So what's that class, what would that, what's that going to look like? Well, it's going to probably be very similar to the, the shotgun course because it is a more than likely the 50-state carbine course is going to be manually operated firearms. So pump-action rifles, lever-action rifles, bolt-action rifles. Be very, the main thing will be the limited magazine capacity and keeping it up and running. But it'll be a challenging day, but I'm pretty sure everyone has something like that laying around. Yeah. And or it, the benefit is, too, if you do a lot of traveling, we talked about optimal versus adequate. Obviously, ideally, we'd all have a Mark 18 with a Surefire can and a Peck 15 and some sort of sight and short barrel. But if you're going on a road trip to a national park that's 10, 12 states away, you may run through a variety of jurisdictions where that may or may not be legal. Where you don't have the ability to say, that guy said it was okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's, right. that's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> but uh, something like a lever action Winchester 94 or a uh, just a pump action bird gun or even many semi-auto hunting shotguns, those are going to be legal pretty much everywhere. So that's what this class will be about is to teach you to, again, working with what you have versus what you wish you had. Yeah. I, I know um, we've had two groups of people been, been asking us for this, and I know there's the, the two of you have been really been pushing for us to do it, but one have been asking because you know they're sincere. Hey, I want to travel. Yeah. This is this is the weapon I, I might have to take with me to protect myself. And the other group is like, hey, I've been doing all kinds of classes with my AR or my AK or my whatever pistol, and they're looking at this that this is going to be different and this is going to be fun. This is going to be a challenge. That's that's exactly why I like doing a shotgun course because an AR is like driving an automatic. It's it's easy. It, you don't have to pay attention. You just turn your brain off and just and just go. But a manually operated weapon, it's like driving driving a stick shift. It's not something you want to do on your daily commute, but yeah. it is a heck of a lot of fun because it's challenging. Yeah, you have to have your brain engaged. I was playing with a, a Mauser yesterday, 
and I'm sitting there thinking, one, it gives you such an appreciation oh, yeah. oh, for yeah. the men that had to fight with that. <laughs> I'm looking at my wife as I'm working that action like, I can't imagine being in the gunfights that I've been in and having to cycle. I mean, uh-huh. you're not just you're aiming at that other aggressor, but you're taking your sights off of him so that you can cycle the weapon system and get that second shot off. Man, that it's like a rally course. It's like a rally course. <laughs> well, have you seen the, the Swiss shooters with the Craig Jorgensen's and they, they dump the rounds in and they, and they cycle the gun and they fire with their middle finger? And no. they, they can put rounds down range really fast. So it's a very effective. They're like just, yeah, they're running the the bolt on it. Yeah, like you would normally, but they're hitting so, the trigger. So that was actually. I wish Kirk was with here because Kirk would be like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, yeah. It's so it was the uh, the Brits were big on that with the the, the Enfield, Enfield too. Yeah. yeah, it was the Mad Minute was, and so they would cycle it with the, and then they would pull the trigger with their uh, middle finger, mm-hmm. and that was the thing. The Mad Minute is getting. I can't remember. How, I think it was. The goal was, I think it was 30 shots in a minute, but it might have been more. Might be, yeah. They Kirk, still do Kirk it, though. You can see yeah. on YouTube, they'll have videos of yeah. competitions. It's really, it's yeah. really fast. We should call him and just put him on speakerphone. Yeah. We should. <laughs> Lose his mind. Yeah. Uh, right on. So we're going to task him with demonstrating the Mad Men. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's yeah. what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I want to see this. We, you know, we have six dates that we have reserved at LCPCPC. Um, in the fall that we haven't put up classes yet. So I don't think we can get it in before that. But but, yeah. but this fall, we'll, we'll definitely have that class up. And I'm probably because of the nature of that class, we'll have to run that on a Saturday so we get maximum mm-hmm. uh, yeah. participation, participation yeah. for that. I think that's that's going to be a fun day. So start getting a CNR right now and, yeah. and, <laughs> and looking for that surplus ammo. And... I, I know everybody has a Mose in the gun. You have to. I mean, those things were... <laughs> I guarantee you somebody does. Right? I, I don't. You don't? I, 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 I don't either. I yeah, gave so mine away. I, I, I said this. The, I had an opportunity where <clears throat> they were selling a case of 10, and it was like they were – it was going to be 800 bucks, and I, I just couldn't justify at the time spending $800. Yep. And now I'm thinking, man, I wish I had spent $800. I yeah. Yeah, I, I actually told that story, and someone felt bad that I'm, you know – a a uh, Mattel kid, and I only have modern <laughs> firearms. Yeah. So they they gave me the uh, the Mauser that I have because yeah. After I did that the podcast with with Abby and interviewed her and talked mm-hmm. to her, and I was surprised. I asked her, "What's your favorite farm you ever shot?" And she's like, "Oh, that that old bolt." And she didn't even say bolt action. She said lever action. She said that old lever action one that with your dad's the the you know the the big one. And I'm like, he doesn't have a lever action. So I think I mean that the Turkish Mauser. She's like, "Yeah, that one." So Santa Claus brought her a, a, a Turkish Mauser for <laughs> nice. Christmas. Nice. So yeah, she'll we'll have to bring that one out for that class. Um, we we need to see in our class. It's like, <laughs> yeah, because I have a bunch of rifles I never fired. <laughs> well, well, maybe we'll do that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure that out. Maybe do that as a two parter or something. Anyways, that's gonna be fun. Um, next question. Oh, here we go. This shouldn't take very long. Should I spend money on night sights? No. No. When you buy a car, do you get the undercoating put on the car? <laughs> you know, it, it prevents rust. Um, that's pretty much night sights are. That, and I find them very useful when I'm in a hotel and I'm in an unfamiliar environment. My pistol does glow. So if I have to grab it, then I can grab the pistol and activate the weapon light. Okay. Because it's important to be able to see what you're shooting at. So I know we're 
we're broadcasting, or we're recording, I should say, at, at LTech HQ. And as you guys know, we're right above Lanco Tactical, great gun shop. They sell a wide variety of night sights. Every good gun shop sells a lot of night sights, or at least has them for sale. So if uh, we all say no, why? It seems to be a popular item. So, so why uh, should you not spend the money on night sights? Um, so I'll jump on it. Here All right. we go. You, you take that grenade. Yeah, I'm taking the grenade. You already um, kind of touched on it. I, I did touch on it. So it's a gimmicky thing. I believe that you need to have highly visible sights that you can recognize. Um, we've discussed in our low light classes about how if you have the same color, you know, tritium, you know, you got three green dots. Are you sure which what the order is? You know, that's a problem. My biggest thing is you cannot pull that trigger unless you know what you're pulling that trigger at. And so if you, I can see my sights in a, pitch black room awesome what i'm shooting at a noise have you identified that target have i identified that target um and i've had someone say well i identified a muzzle flash okay all right what do we teach you take a shot and you move right so that person took a shot doesn't mean that they're still there you're still not identifying that target just because you can see your sights doesn't mean that you have identified that target yeah, I'll say one of the big issues I see with shooters, again, in my world, in the police world, is it's the same thing. It's misaligning the sights. Like, it's dark. They're, you know, they're amped up as it is, and they're trying to shoot at a target just in qualification. And they've got their front sight transposed as if it was the, the right-hand rear dot. Uh, additionally, something I see is that, I mean, what do we say for a sight picture? Target blurry, front sight crisp, rear sight blurry because you have to focus on that front sight. But then what are we doing? We're sticking something right in front of your eyeball that says, hey, focus on me. So I prefer a plain black sight. I, I do, because policy requires night sights on duty, so my duty gun has a tritium front sight only, but the black the back sight is a black rear sight, just because I've found that's, that's enough. It's just a black rear sight and a something up front. I've seen night sights that have like uh, off-color dots. You'll have like a green dot for the front and orange dots for the rear. I'm still not crazy about those, but I think they are a better evolution of the night sight. But I'm kind of with Chris. That's On one of my pistols, I'm actually sitting here thinking, trying to think of a pistol that I don't have night sights on because generally when I get the gun, it has them. They come with it. It's the undercoating. I have my favorite of them is a uh, fiber optic. Uh, hybrid so it has the night sight but it has the fiber optic and so my front sight is that red and then my rear are green Um, but you know my everyday carry pistol I have the RMR on and my front sight my backup you know suppressor height sights black rear sights front sight is a green fiber optic because hey it's going to pick up the illumination from my attack light it's going to pick up the illumination from the room that's what I'm looking at I think that's the answer RMR yeah well, <laughs> I think RMR has become a term like Xerox. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So red dot. Yeah. Um, Many red dot. And yeah. I'm probably the last one in the, the four of us to put on my pistol a, a red dot. Actually, I still don't have one on mine. Uh, but you have a reason for that because yes. department policy. Yes. So Correct. Yeah. Th- that's, you know, you carry, like, you use what your department says. It's true. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think I've seen a police officer with a, an RMR or anything. Oh, in, I, I've, um, I've seen a few. There's, there's, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. There's yeah. Alta, yeah. Oh, I'm sure they are. Yeah. I just never, I, of all the it's, cops it's, I've seen, I've it's never very seen it. big out west because, for whatever reason, the American Southwest, Vegas, Phoenix, those guys seem way ahead. I know LA sheriffs, I want to say something. I know 
couple big departments in Texas and a uh, another full-time SWAT team around me just went ahead and bought uh, Gen 517s, cut for red dots, and they bought everybody an Acro. So, like, they're going, this is this is what we're doing from now on. So I think – and there's a few um, federal contracts which just stipulated every gun they buy has to be cut for a red dot. And I think right now we're not seeing it as widespread. Like you said, it's still not – but I, I would say within five years you're going to see it. Like, right now it's just, like, the gun guys and maybe, like, some of the SWAT teams, but – I'd say within five to ten years, it's going to be weird to see a guy without a dot on his gun. Yeah, and, it, it is definitely the, the the way things are going. Yeah. Definitely, and you know the the red dot doesn't mean that it makes it any easier in a darkened room to see. No. I still need that weapon light. Yep, and you still need the muscle memory to align. Yes, because yes. you can still lose it. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not an easy button. It's like anything else. You right, still right. have to practice to get the the benefits. And also, night sights have a shelf life of like twelve. Yes, oh, twelve-ish years. We and see it all the time where guys show up with dead ones, and we're like, "Well, we don't have any more to give out." To right. You. And that's now you just got regular steel sights. You know, I have a iron sights, an old Trigicon reflex sight. I think that's it, a triangle, so it has fiber optic optics, but then also it's you know tritium. Yep. I think I purchased that thing in the very late nineties, ninety-eight, wow. ninety-nine. Yeah. And it's I still have it on one of my uh, one of my rifles. It's it, it's still going, though I. I Maybe it's because I've been so used to it and used it so long, I don't realize how dim it might be compared to when I first got it, but it's it's still working. It's packed but, but, full of radioactive material, that's why. That's right. <laughs> well, but but for most of those night sites, most of the tritium ones, yeah, you're looking 10 to 12 years. And, yeah. it's, and it's also the amount that, that is in there. You know, I have a, a military compass, tritium compass, yeah. that is 16 years plus. Um, it still glows. In a darkened room, I mean, like I, I can still do all the things I would do with the tritium compass. When I put it next to my brand new one, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, wow, that that one really is illuminated. But before the bezel broke on it, I was still using it. Yeah, yeah. You have any preference for night sights? Like which brand of not night sights you buy? I have Hackathorn tritium okay. sights on yeah. my on my Glock because that's suppressor height for the mm-hmm. for the RMR. Yeah, um, but I don't. I just want it tall enough to see. I don't really care. Like Aim Surplus sells some like sixty dollar gotcha. black yeah. iron sights right. that work fine. No, I don't have a particular brand or anything that I, I swear by. Uh, I will if you're going to if that's something that you want. Um, I do recommend getting the hybrid. So I know True Glow makes them. Um, there are uses of it. Like I give the example. I'm in a strange hotel room. I put my pistol on the nightstand. It is glowing there. You know, I, yes, I, I practice and I know where I'm going to grab, but I wake up in the night, there it is. I have the little glowing thing letting me know where it's at and then I can flip on the, the flashlight. And mine have just a, just an orange front dot that you can see very easily in the daytime. So it's almost like a red dot mm-hmm. and the back are black. Yeah. So it's, it's like a, just a backup. And the tritium was just like a neat to have thing. It didn't yeah. really it didn't influence my purchase, so. I'll just say I like Dawson. Dawson Precision. They got a lot of options. I like them. Okay. All right, next question. Uh, I hear a bump in the night. Now what do I do? Tap the wife and say, it's your turn. (laughs) (laughs) It will be a good story. I used to make that joke all the time, you know. I come into the team room and I'm like, hey, yeah, some some dust had broken the house. I splattered him. And everyone's like, yeah, who hasn't shot anyone in the face? So I'd tell Pam, my wife, I'd be like, hey, this is the way it's going to go down. We're going to hand the bump in the night. You're going to grab your pistol. I'm going to wake up to you finishing a mag into the threat. 
and you're gonna be like, it's okay, honey, go back to bed. Then I'll go into the team room and be like, hey, yeah, guys, uh, I wake up to my wife shooting, not at me, surprise. Um, <laughs> and yeah, this, this dust head broke in and she took care of it. Oh man, that's so cool, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. You can't just tap the wife, like, okay, take care of it. So we have a, a great uh, resource here with us today. We have someone that has a different perspective than just the regular armed citizen. Flynn. Yeah. From your professional opinion. Sure. Now, this is not legal advice. This is not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> you are good at breaking into houses, though. That is part of the job. <laughs> yeah, there is. There, there, yeah. Invading them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with a court order. Um, yeah, with a court order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll, wait, wait, you know, just to put wait, that in. Just to make sure. That's yeah. an asterisk court at sanctions. the bottom. Uh, yes. I'm going to say one of the best things that you need to do is you need to gave, gain some situational awareness. Yeah. And you're coming out of, you know, a, an unconscious state. You're coming to consciousness for a reason. You have to start bringing in that intelligence and, yep. and knowing what's going on. Yeah. Just orienting yourself. Uh, again, I know there's a lot of stuff about clearing your own house, which you may have to do if you have kids and wherever they are. But my first thing is uh, getting armed, getting some lights on, maybe. Well, depending, because you, know, you might want to turn the lights in your room, but getting some situation awareness and start getting some information about what's going on. Putting the the 14s on. Yep, putting the 14s on. Yep, exactly. Clearing your house and your night vision. Yep. Uh, No. So, yeah, get yourself armed and uh, have a phone nearby. You know, call the police because that's the, uh, you know, obviously you have to protect yourself, but it is good to get help on the way if if you do, in fact, need help. But, you know, and really this works a lot better if you have a plan that you've rehearsed. There you go. Uh, That's where I would start is. uh, So I heard that bump in the night. What do I do? Well, I, I started preparing for that bump in the night long before. So you have a plan, and everyone's plan is going to be a little bit different. I think that for the uh, civilian, and if there's that bump in the night, I don't care who you are, you, Flynn, or, 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 yep. or, or myself, when that yep. ha- occurs, I- I'm just a civilian. Oh, yeah. I've no. got, yep. um, I think the best thing to do is to, uh, to hunker down and, yep. and to wait. If you do have a designated uh, safe room, then yeah. move to that safe room. Now, myself... I have multiple kids who are multiple rooms, so it's required a plan that we've had to talk about. And just like we have a fire drill as a uh, as a family, we've practiced this as well, what to do in case that there is that bump. Yeah. We've looked at our house. If someone does break in, we're all up on the second story. So if they're breaking in, most likely they're going to break in on the first story, which means they're going to be coming up of you know a certain particular way where they'd be coming up with the second story. So where does it make sense for us all to retreat to? Um, and... Really, that's what our plan entails. So myself, uh, the most comfortable weapon I have, the thing that I know best is is the AR platform. So I have an AR close close at hand, and it's stored. Uh, I think the law enforcement term is, is cruiser ready. Cruiser ready. So it's stored cruiser ready, meaning I have a loaded mag, but I don't have one in the chamber. And uh, if I need to, to grab that, that that's where I'm going to go. And the plan that we have had in my family, to be general, is uh, somebody's usually designated to move forward to be uh, that barrier, allowing everyone else to fall behind and go into that safe room. And then once everyone's in there, then that individual, usually me, um, then I can can fall back and then I can be the last one in that room. Um, as you guys know, you know we've been very uh, open about it. How we've experienced multiple home invasions when we lived in Fayetteville, and you know my wife had to actually do that and. She was that barrier of protection with that shotgun um, to protect our children. 
So that that's really what you know what we're doing. We we've had that plan beforehand. We've practiced it. <laughs> My wife lived it. And uh, if we hear that bump in the night, then it's it's that immediate response um, to uh, make sure everyone's safeguarded, to make sure everyone is is safe. I had the conversation with my daughters once, uh, years and years ago. If we came ho- came home and someone was walking out the door with our TV, would I shoot them? And I looked at them and said, no, no, why not? Because it's a TV. They're walking out one of one of the girls. <laughs> All right, it's game on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's a person. Yep. And that's having that. You don't have a, necessarily a duty to retreat. You know. But your plan of going to that safe space, collecting the family and protecting the family, that's what matters. It's the family that matters. It's not the belongings. They're taking your TV. Guess what? They're like 300 bucks. Go buy a new one. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier than the hassle that you're going to go through if you have to take that life. Whether they're in your home or not, think about what the priorities are. Just because someone's there, and I'm not saying, you know, we're not going to get into that com- conversation about, do your retreat or, you know, sanctity of life or anything like that. I'm just saying, what is your priority? Someone violated my space or I'm protecting my family and have that plan based around that. Am I going to move to, to uh, the aggressor? Right before I moved out of Clarksville, uh, Tennessee, there was a individual who had three guys break into his house. They came in through the garage. Um, he grabbed his nightstand gun, pistol, he had a Glock 19 and um, he got in a gunfight with these guys in his house. He killed two of them, wounded a third. He himself also died. They came to steal stuff. They were taking his TV. They were taking his items. They were downstairs. They hadn't come upstairs. So instead of gathering the children, moving into the bedroom, protecting the family, that guy's not alive anymore. We have to understand that. Yeah, he, he he protected his family. You know, they, they didn't get his family. Was getting in the gunfight on the stairs necessarily. He moved to them. They didn't move to him. He wasn't in the defense. He went on the offense. I'm not you. I can't say what's right for you. Um, I can say that you have to understand the second and third order effects of what that could possibly entail. Uh, if I go to gun... There's a good reason for it. Yeah. I'm protecting things, the things that I hold more valuable than myself. Yeah, this is something that I think about a lot because um, my wife and I just bought a place in the country, and we have neighbors and things, but it's you know it's it's out there ways, and we have a lot of like trees and things behind us, and and uh, you have a nice pool, and we have a pool, mm-hmm. um, which if they don't drown, mm-hmm. getting to, um, it's a moat really. I like this. I like this. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's defense and layers. It, good, it really good is concept. a layered defense. Yeah. Yes. And that outer perimeter, you have what? Goats, right? That are protecting. Yeah, there's goats. Yeah. Goats are nasty. Yes, too. they are. Um, so my, my wife's a non-combatant. She's, she doesn't have the mindset to, she's in the medical professional, so she's not, her, her, her idea is, you know, to help people, not, yes. not to hurt them. We're working on, uh, we're working on that. Well, she, she came out that one time. She did. She, she had she fun. Can, she yeah. can pull a trigger. She, she but, did a good uh, job. We're working on it. Anyway. Wait till you have kids. We're, <laughs> Yeah, the mama bear. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hoping that's that comes out. Um, but she's willing to learn. That's good. But basically, it's just me, who's the. I mean, yeah. I can give her I can give her a gun and say if anybody comes through the door, pull the trigger. <laughs> it's not me. Make sure it's not me. Then pull the trigger. But um, so it's basically you know it's pretty simple for me. Is it you know stay in the bedroom and you know 
wait have them, have them come to us if that's if that's what's going to happen and we don't have to have a big complicated you know there's no kids to wrangle at this point um when i was in in uh, middle middle school my mom likes to tell the story um i came home from school one day and the front door was open we live in the, in maine in the middle of the woods in nowhere and the front door was open and i go inside and i was like and there was a moose <laughs> yeah but not not that time okay though. all right um and I, I went inside, and the TV was, like, off to the side and everything. It was obviously been broken into, but it took me a while to figure that out. So I ended up clearing the house with a machete. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> because I figured that's what, you, that's, that's what you have to do. I didn't. Yeah. Anyway, it was just I didn't figure that the police would come fast enough because we're way, way out, like a half-hour response time probably. So I, I, but the whole time thinking, I was thinking, like, this is, it felt like this is, the, this is a bad idea, but I didn't know what else to do because I felt if I go outside and just wait, they could come outside, so I don't. Know, it was to my middle school brain that made sense. So. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes and, perfect sense. Yeah, then she had the cops come later and like check the attic and all that stuff. But, but like I think about that and I was like, I didn't have to do that. I could have just <laughs> just gone outside and hid in the woods if I had to. But, so I was like, maybe I'll just stay in the bedroom if somebody comes. You know, if there's a bump in the night and don't have to worry about, you know, because you know self defense is about reacting to somebody else's initiative. It's not about you know we're not going on the offensive. Mm-hmm both from a legal standpoint and a tactical standpoint, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, and that's if you you recognize, okay, there's that bump, and you recognize and, and realize there are unknown individuals in your home. There, there's a potential threat. So now they're the ones who are making things happen. But now once you make that conscious decision, okay, they're in my house. I'm not going to be aggressive towards them. I'm going to wait in my safe room. I'm going to wait here. Now you're the one who's taking the initiative. Now you're ready and you're prepared for them. If those individuals make that choice that they're going to come at you, they're going to you know, assault you, now you're ready and you're prepared for them. You're better uh, able to receive and then, and then go ahead. And, and if, uh, if that's the thing for you to do as a responsible adult to uh, engage them and, and, and shoot at them. Um, again, it's now it's switched from a time and choosing of, of theirs to now it's a time and choosing of, of yours. You are now the one who has that advantage. All right. So let's go back, you know, wrapping up some of the, you know, I guess not wrapping up, but tying in some of these things, night sights. Well, I hear the bump in the night. No, I don't want to have night sights. I want to have that, that flashlight. Um, I'm waiting in that room. So then once I see those targets, then I'm, I'm going to hit them with that light. And that's going to be that last instance. I've positively identified them. They are definitely aggressive. They're there. And then now that I see what they are, I'm uh, I can light them up. Um, I don't want to make the mistake of there's that aggressor coming down me in the hall, you know, coming down towards me in the hallway, and uh, I can identify him, but I can't put those dots on him, that, that laser, or I can put those, you know, those uh, night sights on him, and I engage him. Sure, I might get good hits, but am I shooting crazy drunk Uncle Harold, who knew in his stupor, this is a safe place to sleep it off, so he broke into your home to, to sleep it off. Or uh, as the story you tell, uh, mm-hmm. the guy's daughter who was sneaking, sneaking back, back into in the, the house. house. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So going back to lights, strobe mm-hmm. or, or or continuous, um, or is there? A, I mean, is there the, a benefit to the, one of those? There's there's definitely there, there can be a benefit with the strobe. It's more disorienting, and you can still you know see from your perspective. But it comes down to uh, you need to practice with it, and you know how to use it. So unless you've put some time in and you understand the effects and, and what the strobe's going to do than uh, continuous. But then also in, in our classes with low light, we don't teach people to clear, or we don't teach people to, okay, now it's turn keep off the, the light, light on. to keep it on. It's, it's on and then it's off. It's mm-hmm. on and then it's off based upon uh, you know the situation and your needs and, and how you're, you're looking and scanning. Okay, so next question. 
what to carry if you can't carry a gun? That's an interesting question because if you can't carry a gun, why can't you carry a gun? Uh, that means you're probably at a location or a situation where you're not probably permitted to carry a knife either. I think the biggest thing you got to realize is uh, it's just a tool. And I've had this conversation with several different individuals who limit their lives. They won't do activities if they can't have their favorite tool with them. Uh, I won't go to Disneyland with my children because if I go to Disneyland, I can't have all my tools. All right. Trust me. I like to have all my tools, but they're just tools. There are other things and you have to be creative and you have to think beyond that of if I find myself in a, a life and death situation, I'm the weapon. I'm going to get something in my hands. I'm going to do what's necessary to protect me and mine. Um, the firearm. Absolutely. That's, you know, it's, I got to cut down the tree in the backyard, chainsaw. I can't have a chainsaw. Well, my will is strong. I'll take it down by punching it down. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's the thing. Uh, don't limit yourselves because of some regulation or some policy or, you know, whatnot. And, uh, you know, I, there are people out there, oh, I'll take a gun into a place that has a placard because all they can do is ask me, okay, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's just fine. Um, but it is, it is kind of that loaded question. What it would be your, your backup? You said knife. So I can't have a knife. What's your backup to not being able to have a knife? What would you have with you? Good cardio. Good cardio? Yeah. <laughs> just, just being honest. <laughs> well, what does that mean? As long as your cardio is a little bit better than the next guy's That's cardio? True. Then... I mean, depending on how good of a friend he is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, like going to Vegas for SHOT Show. You can obviously carry, especially with creds, you can carry in, in, in the state of Nevada. It's not a big deal. But the problem is on all the casino properties, it is a huge pain. And if you get caught, they're probably going to boot you out. So when I've gone to SHOT, I just made the decision, all right, I'm not bringing a gun. Because just it's it's the risk versus reward. It's going to be a huge hassle to technically have a firearm with me. For I can't go here, I can't go there. If I get caught, they're going to boot me out. So I just say hey, I'm going to have to rely on just paying attention. Good yeah. situational awareness. And I'm still alive. Yeah. So I, I like uh, you know what you were alluding to, Chris. And really, there's no such thing, in my opinion, there is no such thing as a deadly weapon. There's only deadly people. Mm -hmm. So. Do I prefer that firearm? Heck yeah, that's a very useful tool, one of the best tools for me to have. But again, it's it's just a tool. I um, was having a conversation with a uh, a member of uh, of my church who just happened to be in a uh, a leadership position, and he was stating uh, one of the new policies. Uh, what two years ago now that. Um, deadly weapons were, were now prohibited, and I'm like, what does that mean? Well, uh, you know, and I was like, well, so, and I get, I use that same thing, that example. Uh, there's no such thing as a deadly weapon. There's deadly people. You see that, that pew right there? You see that hymnal? I can take that hymnal. I can grab it right now. I can apply it to the back of your neck and use the force of my hand uh, in front of your head. And I just cracked your neck and I killed you with a hymnal. <laughs> it's, it's people. Uh, there's deadly people. And anyone who's determined and uh, can use the tools that are at hand or items that are at hand to to uh, to protect themselves or, or to be deadly. That's you know that's really what, what it comes down to. So if I can't have that gun, there's all sorts of other options. So now I think we we beat that horse to death. 
what are some of those items or objects or, or tools that uh, that you guys might have or use or carry? I mean, myself, I have, um, should I have it here? I have one of those uh, nice pens. So it, it, it is a pen, but it's also uh, all uh, metal construction and, and can be used to, for any number of things. I use uh, a Uniball pen. It's a, It's got a cap. Cap flips off. It has a sharp point. It's all plastic, but it is strong and dur- enough, durable enough plastic to put into a sensitive area on mm-hmm. an individual, soft tissue, and, and do damage. Um, that pen can go anywhere with me. Uh, when I teach the um, improvised tools of defense class, I talk about my water bottle. You know, I fly a lot. Uh, having a water bottle, drain it before you go through. Aluminum or steel, got a nice handle on it, fill it up with water, 32 ounces. That's a good bludgeoning uh, device. Um, There are things out there. You have to understand what the principles behind the tool is uh, and how to effectively use that. Look at the prison system. We talk about this in some of our classes. Uh, your, Your prison gangs, black gorillas, Latin Kings, Aryan Brotherhood, they all have got the reading list. What's one of the things that's common across the board? Anatomy books. How to best effectively utilize these things. So you're never unarmed. You always have that ability. If you've done the foresight of doing the preparation. I could hand someone off the street your tactical pen right now and say defeat me, but if they don't know where to put that, Mm -hmm. it has no purpose. You don't know how to pull the trigger. You don't know how to look down the sights. The gun's worthless to you anyways. Flynn, so you have sap gloves and, and, and blackjacks, don't you? <laughs> Is that a serious question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, blackjacks. It's, well, blackjacks, no. Slapjacks, yeah. 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 But again, in many places, that's considered a uh, prohibited item yeah. and can't carry it, so... So it doesn't really go into the whole thing of, if, like Chris is saying, if you can't carry a gun, then many of these other actual things you can't carry. So you've got to learn how to use other things. And like you said, there's no deadly weapons, just deadly people. Yeah. All right. Um, next question. Uh, I guess this is specifically towards you, Flynn. Yeah. And uh, why pin barrels for revolvers? <laughs> so who asked that? Huh? I... Anonymous. anonymous. The person wants to be yeah. anonymous. anonymous. Yeah. Uh, Maybe he's the same person who overheard you uh, mouthing off for 20 minutes about, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Re- revolvers. Revolvers, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the pin barrel refers to older Smith & Wessons made prior to 1981. They had a uh, pin through the barrel to secure it to the frame because there was concern way like 100 years ago that the rotation of the bullet in the barrel would, uh, would loosen the barrel in the frame and cause a, a failure. So Smith & Wesson decided to prevent that and, and pin the barrels in, but they stopped that practice in 1981, and many people feel that was uh, kind of the, the beginning of the end for the, the quality of, of American-made revolvers. So a lot of people use that as like, uh, hey, I won't buy a revolver unless it's pinned. And for Magnum's, recessed cylinders. So that's the, uh, yeah. Okay. A little bit of trivia, but it's useful knowledge. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know. it'll tell you the age of a gun. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you. There are some people who uh, don't care about that, but they care about the uh, so-called Hillary hole, the uh, the lock, the internal lock on the Smith & Wessons. 
That's what it's called. Don't don't make the face. That's what people call it. But the lawyer locked the Hillary hole because it came out of the lawsuits uh, from I think housing in Arkansas. Arkansas? Or what? Yeah, yeah, it came out of lawsuits in, in in the 90s. And that was oh, one really? of the agreements. Yeah, no, seriously, that's, okay. that's what they call it. Yeah, it was it was a, uh, and that led to like the lawful commerce law protection lawful commerce act to basically pre- protect gun manufacturers being sued later on. Okay. But those lawyer locks are kind of a lot of people don't like them. So for them, that's their cutoff for for revolver. So if you're buying a gun that's not in production anymore, you have to do your research on what features it has and, and, and when it was made. Okay. Ooh. Here's a good question. I don't like this question. <sighs> yeah, this ought to bring some tears to, if we're sincere, which I know I am, I'll bring some tears to, it, to our eyes. Uh, what is the most difficult firearm you are required to destroy? So with uh, your law enforcement background, yeah. and then also with uh, Chris, you and I, and our experience in the military, unfortunately, I believe all three of us have at some point had to destroy some firearms. I'll, I'll, yep. I'll start out. Um, we had a nice collection of AKs at, uh, at our team house. And... Uh, you know, doing hits. We don't want bad guys to have guns, so it just started to increase, uh, you know, our, our surplus of, of Kalashnikovs. And um, we were getting ready to leave, and, uh, and we were told, you got to destroy them. Now, an AKs and AKs and AK, I get that. Um, we had some pretty old ones, and some, some that were pretty cool, some Chinese, some Russian-made, some you know, other-made. Shoot, there might have even been a couple that weren't made by any of the above that were hammered out with rocks and, and, and hammers and, you know, up at the Khyber Pass, um, you know, so who knows? Um, but uh, we obviously didn't want them to get in the hands of other people, so we, I was given the order to destroy them. And, man, as a freeborn American, lover of the Second Amendment, just the act of destroying a firearm was extremely hard, harder than I thought. I literally got emotional that I was destroying a firearm so what I had to do is I stacked the AKs, um, kind of like um, crisscrossed with the receiver stacked on top of receiver, stacked on top of receiver, and I lit a thermite grenade mm. and set the thermite grenade on top of this stack of crossed receivers and then watched it as it burned and as it melted through those, those receivers. And uh, I mean, there's enough AKs in the world. I didn't put a dent in, in the amount of AKs in this world. But, uh, damn, if I wasn't just a, I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's so it's, after you, I'm, I'm getting emotional right now. After you burned through it. the, uh, the receiver with the huh? thermite, how many of them were still functioning? Uh, well, n- none of them were. They, they, they were all, uh, you did your job. Yeah. I, okay. I, I did my all job. right. Yeah. All they, they were all, they I was all waiting done. for this like epic, you know, AK, you know, it's so no. undurable. No, no, I wish. No, it was just, it was rough. So I did that. And also a couple of the firearms. Um, that we had, we had collected that, you know, we weren't going to have them turned over to insurgents again or find their way. That they, they need to be destroyed. And some of them, I, I tried, tried to get to return back to the states, but uh, no, that couldn't happen. Anyways, that uh, that sucked. <laughs> so, so, anyways. so uh, I'm going to try and bring this up a little bit, even though this is a sad topic. Uh, sometimes when you have to destroy something that you love best thing you can do is make some art out of it Mm. and uh this is 2009 i want to say maybe no i think it was 2009 um i was in iraq same thing we had a a sea land container so like think of a a tractor trailer truck 
full of AKs. I mean, this is six years of an SF ODA after SF ODA hitting targets and taking AKs. Uh, we had to destroy all of them. And so I got out the plasma cutter and I got out the welding torch and I made a chair. I welded and I cut and I did it in a way that they were non-functioning because my intent was to bring this home. And uh, it's so probably... You made a Game of Thrones throne with, with okay. AKs? This was 2009. I didn't hear of Game of Thrones till like 2016. So I didn't know. And I'll be honest, it didn't look like an epic throne. It looked more like a, you know, like a, a dining room chair. Um, <laughs> but it was a dining room chair made out of AKs. And, you know, the, the seat was... The, the wooden buttstocks cut and, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. And I was so proud of this. So much better than me just melting them. And I, I wanted so badly to bring this back to the team room. And, yeah, that is in some MP's office now because they're, oh, no, you can't take that. I'm like, it's non-functioning. You know, the, these are all destroyed. You know, oh, no, I couldn't. War souvenir, you couldn't take it back, all that stuff. Um, war souvenir. You know what? I just want to say right now, that is garbage. War souvenir. My great 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 granddaddy John Young fought with George Washington in the Revolutionary War, and when he was done fighting, he looked around and he said, "There's a cannonball." Picked up a cannonball, walked at 50 miles to his house where he sat next to his fireplace, and that was his war trophy. That's an American right. Anyways, there, there, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm well, like I said, it's in someone's office yes, now. Yeah, exactly. Someone has yeah. this. You know, I don't. Um, probably the the grandest scale of seeing things destroyed. I was taking part of a, a program and we were doing some things and uh, I watched as they took a bandsaw to. Don't get yourself in trouble. I'm not getting I, okay. a set of submachine guns and suppressors. And we're talking boxes uh, of these and uh, they were sitting there cutting up these 45 cans into little pieces mm. and cutting up the, the submachine guns into little pieces. And I'm just watching this and the guys that are doing it, they're like us, you know, they're, they're going to tears in their eyes, uh -huh. but Hey, it doesn't exist anymore and we can't let it fall into the wrong hands. It's got to be destroyed. Yeah. And uh, that was, it was kind of painful to watch. Yeah. It'd be, not just the weapon, but the history. Yeah. Of what's going yeah. on and, and, and seeing that, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a piece of metal, but the history behind it and that, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't be put into a museum. So it had to be destroyed. Yeah. Sadness. Yep. Uh, for us. So I think I've sent you guys both the pictures of the, uh, the shopping carts full of seized firearms. Mm -hmm. Yes. I always play, uh, um, where's Waldo yeah. and try and find yep. the high point. Yeah. It's, it's all high points. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that, that particular one. That's you true. Know. Yeah. 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 So, um, so because the size of where I work and the amount of violent crime, we do seize or have turned in quite a few of firearms. A lot of it's just run of the mill stuff, but occasionally we get some historical pieces that I guess somebody found that granddad bought back from the war. And with a lot of those things, they weren't, uh, they weren't in the NFA registry. And this particular one, now I will say this, we do have a reference room. So anything that gets seized, uh, we have an example of one of everything we've seized, which means like uh, for Lugers, we have one of, I've never actually gotten a chance to look, look at the reference room with these things and go through them with a fine tooth comb. But we've got 
every Luger you can imagine. And as long as there's not an example of it existing already in the reference room, you can, if it's historically significant or important, you can tag it for reference for later in a case. And really, you don't, sometimes I question how much we actually need it. It's because guys recognize the history and the value of these and, items. And they're trying right? to preserve it. They're trying to preserve any the history. Way they can, any yeah. way they can, right. That's how we're going to have to justify it. So um, we have a Sturm Gewehr already in the reference room, and another one came in. And, yeah. Uh, and we tried to argue, like, well, you know, unfortunately it was not an MP feat. Because there's like two different one, one is marked Sturmgewehr 44 and one mm -hmm. is marked MP43. They were both marked Sturmgewehr 44. So like, sorry, we can't. If it had been marked MP43, so we need. Oh, hey, we need an example of this and this because like we have an MP38 and an MP40. Give me a minute, and a Sharpie. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, <laughs> believe me. And uh, I mean, we we pulled because again, we we pulled parts from that for the the one we already had to maintain functionality. But yeah, we had to send that one off to get to get melted down and it was uh it was sad like you said for the history mm -hmm. it, it just yeah. it's a shame to see such a piece of history that has to be destroyed because of you know the rules yeah high points and uh Laurisons and jennings i don't, I don't shed a tear for <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever had a voltron what do you mean a voltron it's a korean pistol it's a little tiny, tiny thing. We're, we're talking like the size of a wallet. Okay. Um, I think it's a, a 25 cal. Um, we would find them in Iraq. Really? You know, once or twice a trip, you'd find a Voltron. And it was always, you know, joke. It, it, it was Voltron, but it wasn't like, you know, the Voltron yeah. logo that we think of from kids. But it, I got to pull a picture up for you guys. It's, yeah, um, yeah you, you need to do that. Yeah, the, the, the Voltron little personal defense pistol. And it, evidently, it's like a South Korean like high point. Hmm. Uh, I can tell you, I got my saved. Oh yeah, please. please. Uh, that, that's that's a good way to end this, yeah. this segment here. Uh, it was a uh, inland uh, M1A1 carbine, the paratrooper carbines with okay. the folding stock. Yeah. And so again, history nut. Uh, the only factory M1A ones were inlands. So that's how you know it's authentic, and all the serials were very close. And so I was like, okay, this is a, a real deal, and it was just turned in by somebody. Like, hey, I have this and don't want it. So we were able to uh, to save it for the reference room. Cool. And just that little piece of history, that was just cool to be able to preserve that for future generations. Right on. I know one of the things, I don't think know if I mentioned it here on the podcast yet or not, but um, we recovered a, uh, in Iraq, we recovered a cherry uh, FNFAL um, yeah. paratrooper model. So it even had like the sling was like, attached to it by, by being riveted on there. yeah um, it, it was really cool and we asked we tried my team leader and i tried to get that uh brought back and we weren't allowed so then we we turned it over to our our counterpart to our to our commander oh, the commander of our of the isoft we were working with and if he didn't invite us out to shoot the next day and they had already like cut off the you know the sling <laughs> and uh, just God. started their the process of you know desecrating it and uh yeah, both my, my my team leader and i we we shed a tear over that because it was just beautiful pristine condition and uh yeah they already started to to mess with it okay um next question what do you like in a good knife yeah that, that's a that's a good question uh so what do you like in a good knife uh first thing because what kind of knife you know folder or or sheath knife 
honestly, if, if I have a choice, I'd rather have a sheath knife. I want something full tang. I want something that uh, is a good all-round tool that I can use to fight with, skin with, uh, you know, cut wood, do, do, you know, be well-versed and, and well-rounded. That's, you know, so, that's a start with. That's something I like. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's got to be versatile. It's got to fit, you know, the belt knife. It's got to be able to be sharp enough that I can uh, gut and clean an animal with, uh, but strong enough that I can chop wood with and, you know, build my fire, potentially even dig my Dakota hole with mm-hmm. uh, to, to build my fire. Um, it's not going to be... Uh, a dagger it's not going to be some sort of you know that 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 fighting knife um do i yes absolutely time and place sometimes a knife is uh the weapon that you have or the tool that you have for defense but uh knife's got to meet meet more than that you know i'm just a folder guy yeah yeah generally just that's what i carry at work most times just a little folding up with a flat point because i've broken so many knife blades prying on things that I just <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's benchmade makes it with just it's got a flat point so I can screw stuff or do whatever else. Well, I learned my lesson on my first deployment with 80 Deuce in, in Afghanistan. I brought a very expensive, very nice knife and uh useful. And what did I use it for? Uh, I opened some, you know, MREs with it and and some other things, but then I also uh, on a on an op uh lost it. So there's a couple hundred bucks. So after that, I'm like, you know what? That that $30, $40 sheath knife is going to do all those same things. And if I lose it, mm, oh, well. Um, I still have some some nice knives, like my Yarbrough. You know, I have that and use that. And, and you know, now it's on some of my kit. Uh, so there's that. And then I, I have some other nice ones, like some, some top knives, um, you know, that are okay that, that I've spent some money on. Um, I think the more important thing is making sure that it's good quality steel, mm-hmm. uh, that you know how to sharpen it. And that surprised me how few people know how to properly sharpen a knife and how to keep a knife sharp. Put a real edge on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what kind of edge to put on. And sometimes a razor edge is not what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, my everyday carry pocket knife that I have, yeah, I, I want to be able to open my mail with it, I, you know, do that type of stuff, pick a splinter out of my finger. So I have a different edge than I have on my my belt knife yeah. that, you know, I'm going to be chopping trees and things like that with and the different angles that, that apply. Um, there are a lot of great companies that make good quality knives. There are a lot of companies that have uh, um, kind of the Kimber syndrome. They, they yeah. got really big and uh, they started outsourcing and the quality control has gone downhill. And so... One particular knife that that company makes is phenomenal. The next variant is a Chinese knockoff, you know. Yeah. So you got to be really careful when, when selecting it. Um, I think that you have to ask your question: What is this going to do? What am I carrying this for? Am I carrying this so that I can cut a seatbelt? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, if I'm carrying it to cut a seatbelt, do I need to have a point on it? You know, um, if I'm carrying it to open my mail, you know. Uh, what it, I'm cutting rope with it. M- make sure you have the right, right yeah. tool for what you need. You know, um, one of our friends is, is Mossy Forge, and he's made a lot of uh, good hand axes, fighting axes, uh, Viking axes, uh, um, a lot of different ones. And I, I've got a few of them, uh, some of which I have carried when I've, when I've been deployed. Um, but he also makes some, some blades, and he 
gave us some some prototypes, and I think we're sitting on uh, all of us have one. Yep. Um, but I think we have three left that uh, we're probably going to put up on the website and, and and sell those. But right now he's also working on making a uh, a specific blade uh, for us that that we're going to be offering to, to sell a small you know good utility uh, type knife. I mean, a good knife is extremely important. Uh, yes. Do you necessarily need to have a Damascus blade? Hey, I have a very nice 1911. You know, I like to bring it out. I like to shoot it. I like to show it off. Same thing with, you know, nice knives. Awesome. But at the end of the day, it's a tool. So your everyday carry, the thing that you're going to go into the woods with, it needs to have capability. Um, and you need to make sure that it comes good quality steel and that you maintain it. A good sheath. Uh, a lot of times, some of the cheaper knives you'll find, you just replace the sheath and you have a good knife. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've done some just random testing, big box store, grab the $19 knife. This is a nice knife. It's good steel. It holds an edge well. The handle's crap. Break the handle off and wrap it in paracord and put a good sheath with it. Throw it on the rucksack. You know, another knife that I know, Chris, both you and I have had in the past are, are auto loaders. Uh, you know, auto loaders. Out <laughs> the front. Autos. Yeah. Out the front, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, not auto loaders, but you know what I'm saying, autos. And, uh, I mean, makes sense as a paratrooper. Mm-hmm. You know, you're hung up or whatever, and that, that's why. You need a single hand open. That, that's why they gave me Cutting us. instrument, yeah. yep. Yeah. And it, that, that's when I've been, you know, the, the fear of the switchblade. It's that uh, we've seen it in the movies. Oh, it's scary. It pops out. It's suddenly there. Someone could, you know, pop it okay. into me. The so, sharks and the jets. Yes. West yes. Side Story. So I um, I recently watched for the first time in a while the, the original Terminator. Mm-hmm. And there's that scene where you got the naked Arnie who, mm-hmm. who's walking up to Bill Paxton. And I forget the guy's name, the guy who was Buffalo Bob from. Uh, um, from yeah, uh, the guy with the jaw problem. Yeah. Yeah. What movie is that? Uh, Science, uh, of Science of the Lambs. Science of Lambs, yeah. And somebody else. And then, you know, it says their dialogue, which is, you know, really intelligent. Then all of a sudden, the three of them pull their little switchblades. <laughs> and then, where's the threat? I mean, I saw those little things like, seriously? That's, I don't know. I just yeah. found it funny how, as a kid, that perception is, wow, oh, yeah. that, that's dangerous. And now looking at those little things, like, makes me want to giggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing supporting that knife. Yeah. Uh, for a cutting instrument, for, you know, cutting your paracord. Uh, phenomenal opening your mail it's great because you can do it one-handed yeah you know um but even because it's unsupported that the small little pieces of metal that spring in to Mm -hmm. to give it the the support that it has it's not enough if you're stabbing into anything um and even if you're cutting there's not enough to reinforce that that good quality cut you're gonna break your knife yeah but still you it's one of those things because of perceptions they're dangerous and illegal, and you can't have that because, well, that, that's law enforcement or military only because it's so dangerous. Yeah. The perception is dangerous. In actuality, I, I would rather be mugged with someone pulling out a out the front than a full tang fixed blade. Yep. It's like you said, I would try not to laugh because I'm trying to de-escalate the situation, yeah. <laughs> but I might chuckle a little bit. That's not a knife. This is a Glock 19. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Any suggestions for getting ammo for class? Hey, that is a great question. 
Uh, do you guys have any suggestions? Right now, maybe the best thing you can do is locate five nearest gun shops to you yes. and, and drive to them every day yep. and, and pick up that one or two boxes I, you can that day and, and do it again the next don't, day. Don't call. You're, yeah. you're, wasting, you're wasting their time and you're wasting your time. Um, stop off. Go, go visit. Uh, and I've had good success where I've gone when I was out traveling out west uh, here. I'll show up and they'll have one or two boxes. You know, they'll have a limit. Mm-hmm. And you'll get a box. It, you're you're doing the uh, the the little drug dealer term the the, the smurfing. Yep. You're you're buying small portions at a time, so you know you're coming to a class. So you're coming to to Safawik and that's not till the summer. If you're able to buy a box of fifty every week till then, you're gonna have enough ammo. You're gonna be able to get it. Uh, another option um, that is out there is is contact. Not just look at the website because a lot of times they'll say they've got nothing at least right now. But contact Ammo Supply Warehouse. Talk to Becker or try to email Becker. Now, one of the things that he's doing is he is trying, even if he has to buy it from other dealers, he's trying to purchase ammunition so at least there's options there. Uh, sometimes the ammo might be a little bit more expensive because he's not going directly to the dealer because he's gotten everything he can from a dealer. So he's going to another um, vendor and he's buying it at their cost. So then he's, he's then trying to sell it just to give people options. So sometimes it's really good price. The other times it might be more expensive than, than what you want to spend, but he's trying to have ammunition available. So contact him and say, Hey, I'm taking an LTAC class. This is the ammunition I need. And this is when the class is. So if the class is a couple months out, he'll be able to pull and get that ammunition and then say, okay, Hey, I've got it for you. So short of you, like we said, you know, going and visiting all your local gun shops every day, that might be the, the only real solution unless, um, somehow magically uh, supply starts to, to pick up or demand starts to go down. But I don't see either of those happening anytime in the foreseeable future. No. But that's, that, that is an option. Contact Ammo Supply, tell them you're taking a class, tell them when you're taking the class, and they'll do everything they can to get ammunition for you for that class. Yard sales, estate sales, things like that. I got uh, 650 rounds of, of police service Ammo, old old school, old school stuff. Mm-hmm. At a, a yard sale one time, they just had it, and I got I got like fifty bucks for all of it. Oh man! That's... Yeah, it was it was just like ridiculous. This is probably ten years ago. Oh okay. But you never now, know. Now you're just teasing us. Well, no, but you never know what somebody's got in their basement that yeah. they're trying to clean out. Like so, I I don't know if there's any downside to going to yard sales, garage no. sales. No, and and those estate sales too. At least yeah. with the estate sales, you can yeah. sometimes look ahead of time to see yes. what they have yep. there. So that's true. Anything else? No. Uh, you know, Be patient. Yeah. There, yeah. There's always, you know, re- reloading too. But you want to be careful with that for a variety of reasons. Reloading yourself and taking the time. I know there's a lot of people that really enjoy it. I really caution against buying reloads. Yeah. Uh, especially from unknown, you know, parties and things like that. We've seen it in class where, you know, there was double load, blew apart pistol. Um, you have to be careful with that. We have a, another guy, uh, Chris, too, or, or like Chris. Um, he's going to be up here running a, a ballistics class for, for a private group. Um, is that March? February. February? Yeah. February. So we'll also get him on a podcast, and, mm-hmm. and we'll ask. So if you have questions about reloading or, or ballistics or stuff, hey, send them to us. We'll ask him that, and we'll actually just you know let him uh, nerd out on that stuff for, for a while for, for a podcast. Well, I guess it leads into uh, the, the next question. 
what are the requirements to set up a private class or private training? Uh, that's something that we're actually doing more and more of uh, with private groups or uh, some, some departments or you know, one particular agency really likes us and uses us a lot, uh, as well as just different individuals. So what that requires is it requires you to have at least five people uh, contact us, and then you'll probably talk to me or, or maybe Chris or, or somebody, and then we'll sketch out and we'll get a good idea of what it is you want, whether it's one of our prepared um, you know, normal classes or if it's something custom specific for you, and then we'll work with you. Uh, we use primarily LCPCPC, uh, the Lebanon County Police Combat Pistol Club. Wow, I said that once. I didn't have to really think about it. That's crazy. Um, so we have use of that range. So if you don't have a place, then then we can use that place to do a live fire class. But that's not the only thing that uh, you know that we do. We do a lot of seminars and workshops and stuff. And so other places uh, have asked us to come and do private things just for them. Or uh, they've hosted us to, to do classes. Um, Avengers, uh, uh, Avengers Fitness. Fitness, yeah. yeah. So Avengers Fitness, that they've had us there a couple times doing the anti-abduction uh, workshop. Um, so, again, that's really all it takes is contacting us, letting us know what your wants or your needs are, and then uh, we, can, we can run it from there. And it's something that um, you know, we really enjoy doing because we like to customize. Uh, we want to make things personal. Yeah personal and special than you know for you exactly what you want to need uh, your group your family your friends your department your needs are different than anybody else's so then you'll get that personalized uh, you know that, that custom approach instead of our uh, cookie cutter uh, classes do you guys want to add anything no I think you covered it okay uh, question next question is do you like m855 alpha one that's an interesting question um, Anyone want to say what that is? Describe that? Well, I'm going to say that, yes, I do like it on the account of I, I feel that we have too much lead going into the water supply. <laughs> green. Yeah. Yeah. So green. I, I yeah. like the, the um, you know, environmental impacts of the round. I, mm-hmm. think, that, I think that's really good. Um, no, all joking aside, this, this is, I had an opportunity of going to um, Aberdeen Proofing Grounds and they have this wonderful arms room there where they have almost one of everything that you can imagine. And they have uh, an AK that was designed by the Russian Federation that fires almost two rounds simultaneously. Uh, And the idea is that it punctures through body armor. You have two rounds as close as possible, uh, and it's got this crazy pulley system. It is is really awesome. Uh, Phenomenal, crazy engineering design. They went to great lengths. While we're there, the guy that runs, who's the curator of this uh, this place, he's been there for over 20 years. Um, he's in there, and he's got 12 Green Braves running around, putting our booger liquors all over everything. And uh, I'm looking at this AK thinking, that's really impressive. I don't dare take that apart. I go off and I look at something else, and my 18 Delta has taken it apart, and now it's a pile of pieces. And he's like, <laughs> Chris, can you fix this? And I'm like, no, I can't. But so on that, um, the Russians... We always hear the joke about uh, America spent a million dollars to design a pen that writes in space. The Russians use a pencil. When the Russians designed this rifle to shoot two rounds to defeat body armor, we just designed a round that goes through the same weapon that we have used since the 60s to go through body armor. So I approve, in that sense, the the concept. So I I know from my experience in in running classes for for 20th Group, 
during cephalic, uh, when we're using green tip, it would take about three classes before we had chewed through and punched through a, a, a lot of the uh, steel targets. A lot of steel targets. But then once we switched to the uh, the Alpha One, then those same those same steel targets would last about one class. Mm-hmm. So it hits a lot harder, penetrates a lot more, a lot bigger splash. But at the same time, I know we are seeing a lot of a lot more wear in barrels as well as in the feeding um, uh, ramps of the uh, of the Mark 18 or, or the M4s. I also uh, understand um, that there's a lot of accuracy that's also lost with that round in comparison to the old M855 or the yes. green tip. So there's some advantages, and there's some you know disadvantages of that round. Um, I don't even know if it's commercially available. I know I've seen it in, at some sold some places online as well as some places like like at some gun shows or whatever it, it's yeah, popped up. like a, a company will have some for development purposes and they've they've done what they needed to do and then they're selling off so, the, yeah. the excess that's where i've seen it before yeah. commercially available um it's kind of is the juice worth the squeeze on it uh do i think that the the penetration capability i'm not really concerned about an armored thread in my house um, I, I'm not running armor-piercing rounds in my house. Yeah. Uh, that's because of what I've done, the assessment of what I think is going to come in the front door. Um, you know, I start facing off against the Mongolian horde. I might change my, my loadout, you know. Um, I might start running some tracers in there, you know, so the kids can mark my tracer, uh-huh. uh, you know. Um, oh, gosh. Did, did you see what happened uh, yesterday? Speaking of which, oh yes, yes, yeah. So yeah. I, I believe a, a boy of mine actually did load a, a mag full of tracers, but it was caught before he like decided. Before, to, yeah. before he's he, like, "What's yeah. this orange stuff? Oh, that's that's just, that's just <laughs> orange is just a new green." No, no, it's not, son. <laughs> we had the uh, Emiratis in uh, Fort Bliss. Yeah, and they uh, they burned down a shoot house. <laughs> oh God. Yep, and God. I, it was. <sighs> I was a young 18 Bravo. Yeah. And uh, make sure no tracers, make sure no tracers, make sure no tracers. They went and they did some training and they had some tracers. <laughs> yeah, completely unrelated, but but it reminded me. I don't know if I ever told you this. So I did that J-set down, um, well, I'll just say it's somewhere south of the border. Mm-hmm. And uh, so teams have been down there before and, and, and trained with some same guys so we're using some of the same uh, locations and areas so there's just one place where they have a, uh, a wooden uh, shoot house really it's, it's not live fire at all you're only going to use paintballs <laughs> or, or sims or utms or something in there so uh thankfully I, I did the right thing so the day prior to us using this place to, to train we go checking it out and uh here bees had made a nice hive all through the paneling so since this was south of the border you can imagine what type of bees these Mm. were so i you know keeping bees myself and seeing how aggressive these were by us even getting a little close like okay we're we're not going to use this place we're going to back off the the bees have won we didn't even had a war that we declared them the victor and and backed off that could have been a very interesting day (laughs) going in there and and hitting a couple walls with some utms and the reaction that would have elicited that was anyways Uh, getting one underneath your mask oh one i'd be afraid (laughs) my gosh killer bees going nuts that that anyways Hmm. all right what a way to end a a podcast um killer bees any uh any last parting you know pearls of wisdom you know one of the things that 
has been kind of an answer, a reoccurring answer throughout this whole question and answer. Have a plan. Think about it ahead of time. Whether we're talking about what to do if you can't have a firearm, what to do if you hear that bump in the night. Um, shoot, what kind of round to carry? You have to have the thought beforehand. You don't want to find yourself in that situation of, oh, I need to make a decision, and then rushing to make a decision. You have time now. This is the time to do your research. This is the time to prepare. Do it. Yeah, also on that too, I know that we're a firearms company, but don't just solely rely upon firearms. I mean, like we said, there's no deadly weapons, just deadly people. Same thing too, you can't bring a gun everywhere. Does that mean you shouldn't live your life? Uh, preparedness doesn't just mean for, you can't shoot every trouble that comes across your path. So you might need a generator. You might need to have food stocked up in case of food shortages. I mean, I, I'll be honest. When this whole COVID thing kicked off last year, I, I was shocked to walk into grocery stores and see bare shelves in the United States. I mean, that made an impression on me. So I don't want to repeat that. So make sure you have stocked refrigerators. Talk to your neighbors. You can't go to stuff alone. So having a gun is important, but having a good sense of community where everyone's prepared and working together and looking out for each other is going to get you far further than, you know, an AR-15 with 100 PMAGs and 10,000 rounds of 855A1. Well said. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, this has been fun. We're definitely going to uh, to do a question and answer again. Uh, keep sending in questions and, and, and ideas. And uh, Love the feedback. Yeah, we'll, we'll answer them. So, again, thank you. It's a, it's a privilege knowing that you're out there and you're listening, and we look forward to seeing you out on the range. Take care. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing.